Good morning, my friends. This is Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. And I'm so glad that you are here today. And may I say to you, Merry Christmas. Praise the Lord as I'm greeting you today from Studio B. And I just wanted to come over here today and share God's word with you today and minister God's word to you today on Christmas morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now I know some of you are watching this and you're 12 hours ahead and you're catching this uh, hot off the presses. Praise God. So wherever you're at on this big, beautiful planet, I'm so glad that Jesus has saved us from our sins. And, you know, we understand technically that Jesus wasn't actually born on this day, most likely born in the spring of the year over in Bethlehem, when, of course, uh, that's also the natural time when the baby lambs are born. Woo, praise God, and he is the Lamb of God. But nevertheless, we have this day to celebrate his birth, and uh, let's just rejoice in him today and in his word. He's the greatest gift of all time. Woo, praise God, and we have received him, who is the resurrection and who is eternal life. Praise the Lord. Now, let's take our Bibles. We're going to receive the tithes and offerings before we jump in uh, into today's message. And let's go to Psalm 115 and take another look at verse 14, a very powerful scripture. Verse 14, may the Lord give you increase more and more. Wow, isn't that amazing? I think some Christians almost would try to rewrite this verse in their own personal theology by saying, may the Lord give you decrease <laughs> more and more, but no, you don't need any help going down. You need help going up. You need covenant empowerment to go up. Anybody can go down. Just don't show up for work uh, on Monday morning and you'll go down very, very quickly. But my friends to go up, we must give it our all and we must Look to the Lord for the help and the strength that we need. And there is the covenant. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, where the Lord gives us the power to get wealth. You don't need power to become poor. Nobody needs help going in a negative direction. But here it says, may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, these are very powerful statements in the Word of God, but here's the catch. If you don't take the faith that God has given to you and exercise it and believe what the Word says and proclaim it and speak it over your life, then it's still just ink on paper, although it is a vital truth. And we are in the new covenant that has been ratified and sealed with the blood of Jesus. That means that we not only have had uh, our sins forgiven and we have passed from being spiritually dead to a place where we are now alive in Christ, we are spiritually born again, but included in that phenomenal covenant, which is better than the old covenant, is all of the things that were, you know, in the old. That's also carried into the fullness for the believers. And I tell you what, the Lord wants you to experience increase, but you need to use your faith on purpose for it. Apply your faith. If you are a businessman or a businesswoman, 
You know, take a look and review the year that we are now coming to a conclusion of and look at your numbers and look at how much profit you made, look at how many sales you made and do what? Believe God for increase more and more because God wants to take you higher. Praise the Lord. God wants you to go higher even if you are on a set income because your boss can't just keep giving you a raise, you know, every month or something like that. Unless you're like a salesperson and you're just knocking the ball out of the park and you are you're uh, bringing in millions for the company. That, that could be different, but usually that's all commission-based. But my friends, whatever the situation, even if you're on, let's say like you're a teacher, you're on a set income, you can still believe God for increase more and more. God's not bound by blessing you solely through the avenue of your career field, although that will be a primary uh, vehicle that the Lord works through. But He can also get blessing to you many many other ways. So be open to that. Let him increase you. But at the same time, you must believe this verse. You must confess it. Let's do that right now. Say, the Lord is giving me increase more and more. You know, there are some churches in America today that the preacher wouldn't dare say something like that. And all of the people in the church would feel ashamed to say it. Yet, yet they're going to go out tomorrow morning, and they're going to start another work week, and some will work 40, 60, 80 hours a week doing what? Trying to get more, trying to get more, but they'll never admit it. My friends, God can help you, and God will empower you and work with you when you honor His Word, when you hold to it and embrace it. Now, say this again. Say, the Lord is giving me increase more and more. Woo! Praise God. Amen. And he's blessing you and your children. See, take the promises of God and uh, personalize them. Make them yours. Why? Because they are yours. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's also honor the Lord with our finances, because that proves to the Lord that we are people of faith and that we are entrusting uh our lives into his safe hands for the Lord to help us and to take us into areas of growth that are beyond our own ability. I believe some of you are going to touch the exponential zone. Uh, in just a few more days, God's going to launch you, not with just a small percentage increase, but you're going to see some things that would be more in the category of exponential increase. Somebody listening to me right now needs to say, that's me. He's talking about me. <laughs> Amen. And I am. Praise God. Now, let's honor the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. Praise God. We can bring them into the storehouse now. For those of you that prefer to mail in your tithe and your offering, you can send it to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28654. Now, if you want to bring your tithe, your offering in online, you can do so literally from anywhere on the planet. Please go to our website, stephenbrooks.org. On the homepage, there's a link that says give. It has a red heart. Click that and you can bring your tithe in safe and secure online. Also, if you would like to give a special offering to help us to finish the year strong, click on that category called projects. You'll see the various projects such as 
Pure Gold Television. You can click on that and you can give an offering right there. And we certainly do appreciate it. Now, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people that their faith and their confession is in harmony with your word. And I pray, Father God, that you increase them more and more, that they see tangible results of the power of your word working in their lives. We thank you for this, Father. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, we all agree and say, amen. And I'll tell you what, God is working very powerfully in your life. Amen. Now, let's take our Bibles today and examine something that really stood out to me. And I believe God will minister to you through this word. I want to talk about you having your own sword. Mm-mm. Go over with me to 1 Samuel, and, and let's go to uh, chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we jump into this message, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come bringing to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let that anointing touch our minds and affect the way that we think and the way that we govern and live our lives. We thank you. We thank you now for the help of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Say, I'm ready to receive. Mm -mm. Amen. Verse 16. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin by the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road of Ophrah to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road to Beth Horon, and another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Okay, so three raiding parties heading out to do more plundering and looting. Verse 19. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. Well, as you can see, we are in the book of 1 Samuel, so we have moved out of the time period of the judges, and the time period of the judges had a lot of dark times. But God would raise up a judge or leader for the nation to get them out of those tough places they often found themselves in, such as being subjugated to another small nation power that is now dominating over them. And we're seeing the effects of that. Now, Israel has a king, but the kingship is still young. Uh, Saul only has 600 men. Now, later, as he gets momentum and his kingship begins to expand, he's going to be recruiting uh, you know, the sons from the families, the big ones, the tall ones, the ones that look like they can swing a sword. <laughs> and of course, that's also why the prophet Samuel said, hey, now look, if you have a king, he's going to raise up an army. And that means he's going to be taking your kids and they're going to go off and fight. And some of them are going to, uh, you know, unfortunately die and stuff like that. That's the whole thing you're getting into with this kingship principle. Uh, before that, you know, the Lord would sometimes literally fight their battles. So it was a much better situation, but nevertheless, they're in with the king and uh, things are going to become established in this area. But it says there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, and they're pretty smart people, lest, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. Well, of course, that's exactly what they would do because <laughs> if you don't have a sword or a spear, 
You know, it doesn't matter how strong you are. Uh, I mean, maybe you can go out there with a slingshot or something like that, but that you know, those guys have shields, and uh, you really do need some metal. Mm-mm. Verse 20, But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. For the charge... Uh, excuse me, and the charge for sharpening was a pim. That's about the same as an ounce of silver. In other words, about $25 to get all of your farming uh, instruments all sharpened up so that you can use the mattock to bust open the soil or, you know, get everything ready to go. Okay. And it says also to um, set the axes and set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword. Now watch this. This is really a very low spot. There was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. In other words, Saul, the king, uh, who was a tall guy, and he's obviously physically pretty strong, and his son Jonathan, they each have a sword and a spear, but nobody else does. Wow. So here's the question. How do you fight, especially against those who are armed with swords and spears? How do you fight against situations like that when you don't have anything in your hand? Now, we know that God worked on Samson by the empowerment of the spirit to pick up the jawbone of a donkey. But um, what do you do when that anointing is not there? And uh, even if you picked it up with no anointing, uh, this is not going to hold up against metal. <laughs> <laughs> you have a problem. And that's why I'm saying today that every man, every woman needs to have their own personal sword. Let's talk more about this. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Big Mash. Well, things are looking pretty tough here when you don't even have your own type of weapon to engage the Philistines. Now, we're in the next chapter, which is chapter 14, and now we are going down to verse 4. Keep in mind that while Jonathan and Saul, they have their weapons, but nobody else does, what happens is that when you, even if you do have a weapon, and all you do is wear it, but you never fight with it, then it's going to turn into just a ceremonial type uh, thing where we put it on a wall like a plaque. Even if you wear it, it doesn't mean anything because it hasn't had any usage. Mm-mm. Verse 4 now. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other Sinna. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Anytime someone in Scripture here, like, for example, Jonathan, later you see David using the same phraseology when confronting Goliath, when they're saying uncircumcised, they are saying, basically, we, are, we have a covenant with our God and the fact that they're not circumcised means they have no covenant with the true and living God. Because God made the seal of the covenant to be circumcision with his servant Abraham. 
Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, or those that have no covenant with God. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, that's true, and that's something that we also need to meditate on, not just, of course, for those that would be military soldiers, those that are actually in war, who, might, who may at times find themselves outnumbered, but if God is with you, you can still get that victory. Amen. And that's, that's a revelation that somehow Jonathan understood. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then here. I am with you according to your heart. You want to have some close people on your inner circle. Don't let people into the inner circle of your life who are not loyal, who are not proven in that area to be like super glue who stick with you through thick and thin. Praise God. And my wife and I thank the Lord that we have been surrounded on the inner circle with those who, who would uh, jump in front to take a bullet if such a situation ever rose up. Praise God. Verse 8, then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. We're going to pop out and we're going to let them see us. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So whether Jonathan is saying, whether we stand still and fight, or we go up and fight, Whatever this response, there's going to be some fighting today. Mm -hmm. Woo, praise God. And he's, he's, he's stepping out in faith. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. At this point, there's no turning back. You're either going to fight now or um, you're, you're going to probably get killed. The very fact that you've exposed yourself means that uh, you're too far in now to back out. Praise the Lord. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. And that's exactly what quite a few of them had done. That's why Saul only had 600 men in the army. Where's all the others hiding? <laughs> a bunch of them ran up into the mountains and hid. Others were actually crawling down in the holes, finding caves to hide in because they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us. And we'll show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. Mm -mm. They fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. Now, it would appear to me, we... I don't really know for sure. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven, and then we can download this uh, on, on our big screen TVs in heaven. However, the I'm sure the technology is way beyond the TV screen, right? They already have that here on the planet Earth, right? Some of the, you just project it onto a, uh, a wall or something like that. But we'll rewatch it when we get to heaven. If you're watching me right now, when we get to heaven, come over to my mansion with me and Pastor Kelly, and we'll have a big house party, and we'll play the DVD of this. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I, I see this as Jonathan. We, we already know that he and Saul only had a sword and the spear. So I'm thinking that Jonathan has the sword and the spear. He's given that to his armor bearer. Remember in battle, 
in sword fighting, it only takes the thrust of a sword to penetrate the human body about three inches. And in other words, you don't have to cut their head off. You don't have, you know, you don't have to like slice somebody's arm off. It usually doesn't work like that in battle. You want to just poke them because if you get them with that thrust or jab and it penetrates two or three inches, they're done. They, they're, they're out of the battle and they may still be alive, but they have dropped to the ground. So I see Jonathan uh, getting them with the sword and then right after him finishing them off and killing them is the armor bearer most likely now with the spear just running them through and putting them out of their misery. That first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men with a, within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp in the field. And among all the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled. Then the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Can you believe that God goes into battle with him and God does literally an earthquake? Mm -mm. Praise God. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. I tell you what, I see your troubles melting away because <laughs> you have gone on the war path, and you've gotten yourself a sword. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. You know, King Saul was a very self-centered man. He was very selfish. So you know that Saul has raised his son uh, like with a mentality like, look, you're here with me, but these other guys are going to do the fighting because you're my son, you're the prince, and if anybody's going to get killed, uh, it's going to be you and me dying last because we're going to take care of ourselves. And so the last thing that Saul would think would, would be that his son has actually launched a secret covert operation, but that's exactly what he has done. And Saul said to Ahijah, the, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise, which was in the camp of the Philistines, continued to increase. <laughs> Pandemonium is breaking out. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. In other words, those who were formerly fearful and afraid have now been emboldened by the act of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Fear, please don't forget this, can be rabidly contagious, but faith, faith can be explosively contagious also and can turn a losing streak instantly where suddenly the toll tide has turned and you know it and the opposing force knows it. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. Time for a little uh, payback for all of the roughing up that the Philistines had been doing. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth Avon. Mm, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, let's talk about some of the tremendous uh, stories 
of faith that can be found in this battle experience. Number one, you need to have your own sword, your own personal sword to fight with. What is the sword, Pastor Stephen? Well, here's my sword right here. Praise God. This is it. Praise the Lord. I take my sword with me everywhere I go. If I don't take the big sword when I travel, I have a smaller sword. But I've always got a sword with me. I've got a sword in my house, a sword in my briefcase. I've got a sword in my truck in the glove compartment. I've got a sword also in the middle console. I've got swords all over the place. I don't ever want to be anywhere without a sword so I can fight. Mm -mm. Praise God. Now, let me, let me show this to you in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So that, that, uh, that gives us a definition of its precision, but it also gives us a, really the reality that God's word is very similar to a sword. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even even to the, the division of soul and spirit. That, that's tricky. When you can cut between soul and spirit that can, uh, you know, your spirit is the real you your, or the core of your being, but your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and they can wrap around your spirit in a sense. So to be able to pierce between what is strictly spirit and what is perhaps a soulish vain idea uh, the word is actually able to penetrate through that and make that uh, division. It can separate joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is the sword that you need, but, but we need to break this down even more in order to make this something that we can apply to our lives. Now look at the statement for the word of God is living. Okay, the word of God, and we know it's sharper than any two-edged sword. But in the Greek, when it says the word of God, W-O-R-D in the original New Testament Greek is actually the word rhema, and it means a living word. It's the living word that you fight with. Now, technically, the entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, the entire Bible and everything in between is what we would call the Logos word, L-O-G-O-S. And that would be a reference to Jesus, the second person of the Godhead deity. In the beginning was the word Logos, and the word Logos was with God etc. So we know that Jesus is the Logos or all of the word. And at the second time, at, at the second reason, we understand that God's word has scriptures that sometimes just seem to leap up off the page, or perhaps the Holy Spirit would speak one of them to you, or an angel would speak a certain scripture to you. I remember one time, it was the year 2010, and I was traveling, uh, ministering all over the country, uh, and I had a I had a little downtime, and I had like a three day break, and I was I was wondering how things were going to work out because things were a little tight uh, as far as finances, and I was just saying, you know, Lord, it's been a really busy year. Um, 
and I trust you, but um, Lord, there's a lot of questions that I have concerning some things. And the Lord spoke a scripture to me. And uh, this one I wasn't very familiar with. I actually got out my concordance and looked it up, and there it was in the Bible. But I actually heard him say it to me. And it basically was a scripture where he was saying, I'm going to hold you up, and I'm going to hold you, and you're not going to fail. And I tell you what, you're talking about getting energized. And that was the word, that was the sword that was put into my hands to fight against doubt, to fight against thoughts that the enemy would send to me that, um, you know, uh, you're not going to get this or that or whatever it might be accomplished. And I just said, no, I I said, it's going to happen. And with God's word, I cannot fail. And I took a hold of that. I tell you what, strength rushed into me. And anytime the devil uh, would try to throw uh, one of those thoughts at me, I would take that sword and just cut it instantly. And how, how would I do that? By responding, no, Satan, that is a lie. That is a lie for the Lord has spoken this and I would quote it and I would, and then I would say, I believe it and it is true and devil, you're a liar. And I tell you what, everything just, uh, became, uh, bright and rosy. I mean, things just began to pop and uh, I just kept moving ahead and that's what the word of God does. But the sword that you hold in your hand, while you want working knowledge of the Bible, I mean, you want to know where the book of Genesis is at. You want to know the Exodus story. You want to know uh, the book of Revelation. You want to read it, even if you don't understand all of it. You still want to know, you know, familiarize yourself with these things. But it's the rhema word. See, when I fight against the devil, it's it's a fight of faith. But when you fight, you don't fight with the whole book. Why? Because you can't throw the whole book at him. You can't stand there all day and just quote scriptures at him. No, you fight with the sword. You fight with the rhema word. Again, it says in verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful. Now in the Greek, it says for the rhema of God, not the logos for the rhema of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. So you fight with the rhema sword in your hand. That is the living scripture that God gives to you the stand against the attack that the Philistines Old Testament, New Testament, that the uh, evil spirits, those from the dark side, would try to uh, throw at you with various types of thoughts. Praise God. So you need a scripture to fight. You need a word from God to fight with. Praise God. Again, not the whole book. You don't throw the whole book at the devil, but you can take that one verse and you could you can wield that as a mighty sword and cut the enemy to ribbons. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Here's a fascinating scripture. Revelation chapter 19. And let's go to verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him, we know that's Jesus, was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Wow. They'll never forget that the Lord is a judge and he's a warrior. Now in this life and in this era in which we live, you could even say in this dispensation in which we live, justice is not always done right because we have 
uh, judges. Maybe they don't have the right information. Maybe we have jurors that are lying. Maybe we have uh, crooked attorneys. Uh, maybe we have an innocent man who's being falsely charged. And sometimes the judgment is not right. But there will come a day when every man, every woman will stand before the Lord on a day of judgment and the Lord will judge right. Now, we don't get the same judgment that the wicked do. Our judgment is a totally separate judgment from them. Their judgment is for their damnation and for all of the wicked deeds that they have done in the body, but not for us. Now, let's go to verse 15. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Have you ever thought about that, that when you speak the, the rhema word, that living scripture that the Holy Spirit gives to you, have you ever thought that when you actually fight the fight of faith with that, that actually in the spirit realm, it is as if a sword is coming out of your mouth? Folks, you, get, you need to get your own sword. You have got to have your own word from God to fight with. Mm-mm. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it, he should strike the nations. And again, a lot of times people, they have kept Jesus in the figurative role of the lamb, and he is the lamb of God, but he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is the great conquering king. And when he comes back, now the next time he comes back, he's not touching down on planet earth. He's coming back to meet us in the air, and we will go to be with him in the air, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll be taken away where we will not experience the wrath of God that will be then poured out upon the wicked during the time in Scripture known as the Great Tribulation, especially the last three and a half years, which will be literally hell on earth. But we are not appointed under wrath. We will be taken to be with the Lord. Now, we are also going to come back with him after that. And when it says, when we come back, we're going to be riding with him. Praise God. Now, it says, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So when he comes back with us, with him, that is when his feet will come down on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will split apart. And um, then of course, all the, all the Jewish people, all of the Israelites will say, wow, hey, uh, you, you really are the one. <laughs> hey, who are you with those, uh, uh, those wounds in your hand and that hole in your side? And they're going to realize uh, the reality of it all. And at that time, he's going to strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Wow. Praise the Lord. So we need to understand that because of things that are coming. But my friends, God wants you to have a sword uh, coming out of your mouth, just like coming out of his mouth. Praise the Lord. You need to go. You need to go get yourself a sword. You don't, you don't need one of these. Okay. You, you, you might hurt yourself with this. <laughs> I was at a martial arts tournament. You know, I used to do martial arts for, for years and years and, uh, you know, competed and stuff like that. Uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of bumps, a lot of bruises and this and that and the other. But um, I remember, uh, you know, at one of the tournaments, you, you have two events. First, you have forms. You have kata. You have all the forms. And then after that, uh, you go into the sparring or the fighting part, okay? So uh, if you're doing the forms, and sometimes you would do your, your, your form 
uh, with maybe like nunchucks or maybe the sigh or maybe, uh, uh, you know, like a katana, a sword. Well, if you're using a sword, it's supposed to be a like a replica fake one that's not sharp and preferably um, is, is, you know, not even made of metal. <laughs> but we were in a, a competition one time, a real big tournament, and uh, there was, you know, the forms going on, and there was a guy out there. He was, he was maybe only like a young guy, like 19 years old, and he was out there with a sword, and he was putting on a performance, and it was drawing a big, big crowd. I mean, there was a hum hundreds of people watching this guy. He was really, really good. And right in the middle of his routine, one of the judges, one of these real old Asian men, uh, you know, because you have a panel of judges, uh, he was sitting there, and they're sitting there like this with their knuckles up because all of their knuckles are swollen up to here. All of the grandmasters throughout their life, they'd all broken their knuckles on purpose because then it builds up calcium deposits, and you got, you got like uh, knuckles out, out to here, so then you could break boards and break bricks. Uh, and, the, of course, they probably had uh, horrible arthritis, but anyhow, one of the judges stops uh, the young man and goes out and says, I need to examine your sword. And so the guy stops and hands him the sword, and the judge realizes this is a real, this is a real sword. I mean, it was razor sharp. <laughs> he says, oh, you can't you can't use this because sometimes you know, actually many times they really get going, you lose it, and that thing goes flying. I, I've seen them go flying off in different directions and stuff like that. But when it's fake, you know, it's just going to fall somewhere and bounce, or you know, or at the very worst, it's dull. So you get maybe get bruised. But this thing, man. This thing, you know, something is going to get cut off if this thing goes flying. He actually broke, the young man actually broke down in tears because he was so wanting to impress the judges. <laughs> well, they said, well, you can continue. Let's find you a, 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 like a replica. You can't use the real deal. <laughs> Praise God. But there needs to be a word, a sword coming out of your mouth, a scripture, a word from God to deal with the various Philistines or the various types of enemies. And you need a sword, for example, if... Uh, like lack is trying to fight you. You need to fight the faith with a word from God against that. Maybe you have low self-esteem. Maybe your parents didn't speak good to you. Maybe they actually spoke negative to you and made statements like, I wish you were never born or horrible. Uh, those were actually like curses, word curses, but perhaps they didn't know they were actually cursing. But nevertheless, perhaps you are wounded in that area. But what does the scripture say in Psalm 139, for example? Here's a, good, here's a good sword. Somebody needs to take this one and fight with this. Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now listen to that again. The psalmist David says, I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, Look, if you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you believe that, and that's for every single human on the earth, th then you need to say, yes, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I have esteem in who God has made me to be. And here's what will happen. When you confess that and you believe that, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you will begin to accomplish things that are fearful and wonderful. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Praise God. When you begin to allow the word to build you up and you stand on that and you fight with that, that becomes your sword. You will do things that others will take notice of. It's an output of the creativity and the gifting and the anointing that God has put on the inside of you. Praise God. But for every enemy, there is a sword. There is a word. And while you may 
have heard that God gave this person this word. He may want to give you another one because why? We all need to have our own sword. Praise God. Amen. So God's going to help you get the sword that you need. This is new sword day. Mm-mm-mm. Can you imagine the children of Israel against the Philistines and all these men are thinking, we don't even have a sword. We don't have a spear. We don't have any kind of metal. Now you could stand there with a wooden club, but uh, that's not going to do very much against a real sword. So God is empowering you, his people today. Now, again, again, it says that in Revelation 19 that he will strike the nations with his word, with the sword that's coming out of his mouth, and he's going, to, he's going to rule and judge with a rod of iron. Wow, praise God. I'm very excited about the millennium kingdom. In Zechariah chapter 14, it says in verse 17, and it shall be that Whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them, there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. How will Jesus strike these disobedient, rebellious nations when he's ruling the the earth for the millennium? Now, the millennium is, that millennium is a Latin word that means a thousand years. So when Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years, which he's going to do, how will he strike these rebellious nations? With the sword coming out of his mouth, with the word of the Lord. He'll speak a word. He'll say, okay, you're not going to come up and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. You tried to wipe out my Jewish people during the tribulation. Okay, now you're required to come. So you're telling me you're not going to come? That I strike you with no rain. No rain over the whole nation. That'll get their attention real quick. They'll find out real quick who's in control. So he's going to rule with the rod of iron. And all over the world, different nations, different states, there'll be various governors. Those who honored the Lord and lived for the Lord during their life will be appointed to rule and reign with him. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a very different world as it is what we see today. Immediately with Jesus reigning, life expectancy is going to go back up. You'll have people living to be a thousand years old. You'll have uh, people walking in health and free from sickness and disease. There will be uh, the ruling with the rod of iron. In other words, if there's any form of of, of contraband material, whether it's drugs, pornography, um, any type of uh, damaging substance. You know, we've got all this drugs, all these drugs today that, that are killing people. But there are countries like China where if you are caught uh, pushing illegal drugs, there is an instant death penalty. Same way Singapore. I've been to Singapore. They put the, the slip in your passport just to let you know, and you're never allowed to take it out the whole time you're there. It, and it's, it's, it's an instant death penalty for any drug traffickers. And so uh, those are just slight foreshadowing to what it's going to be like when the Lord's going to be ruling for a thousand years. You might think, Pastor Stephen, how can people uh, submit to that? They'll have to. But remember, the devil will also be locked up. So all of this crazy influence today of corruption and bribery and extortion and child trafficking and all of this filth is because there's a devil influencing uh, people to do these awful things. But he's going to be locked up for a thousand years. Jesus will rule and reign and finally show the world how it's supposed to be done the right way. Short story. Once the thousand years is complete, 
Satan will be released out of the bottomless pit for a very brief period of time. He will go out and he will once again try to gather a group of nation states to stand with him for what he hopes will be a final overthrow against the Lord, but it's not going to work. He will be crushed and then finally he will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire and will burn and suffer for all eternity in that place. Already have been thrown in there will be the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet. They will have already been thrown in, but at the very end, Satan himself will be thrown in and all of the rebellious people who were foolish enough to believe him. Amen. Oh, by the way, sometimes people wonder how long is that short period of time that after he's out of that bottomless pit, how long will he be able to pull his last final stunt? I prayed about that because it doesn't tell us. I felt in my heart that the Lord showed me it was three and a half years. And I studied and found out that some of the mystic saints, some of the prophets of old said in ancient church writings also that the Lord had showed them or the Holy Spirit had impressed upon their hearts that that time is only for a short three and a half years. Amen. What happens after that? We roll into eternity. Woo, glory. That's when Jesus submits everything back to the Father and off we go into eternity. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Amen. Mm -mm. A sword in your hand, the word of God in your mouth. Praise the Lord. Now, what else do we need with this sword in our mouth? We need meditation. Meditation is really what keeps your sword sharp. And remember, anytime you have oh, one of these, okay, and you're using it, it's going to get dull. So you have to uh, take it to the blacksmith, okay? You have to take it into the blacksmith shop of your mind and meditate on that promise. Meditate on what God said to you. Meditate on that scripture that left off the page and grabbed your heart with such conviction that, that in, in a sense, it's no different if Jesus had appeared in a vision and told you. I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit impresses a strong scripture, a word upon you, it's the same thing as the Lord standing there and saying it to you. Amen. That is the rhema word. Mm -mm. That's what you fight with. That's your sword. Mm -mm. Thank you, Jesus. Well, you take it but to keep it sharp, you must also meditate on it. Ponder on it. Think about it. Uh, tap into that word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Chew on it. Amen. We see a great example of this in the Bible. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Ooh, keep the sword in your mouth. But you, gotta, you have to keep it sharp. But you shall meditate in it day and night. Polishing sharpening, mm -mm, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, so there's a process after you do these things, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Woo, praise God. That's where God's taking you as we get ready to march into this new year with the sword, the word of God in your mouth. Praise God. It's going to be the greatest year you've ever had yet in your life. Say amen. Mm -mm. Woo, praise the Lord today. Thank you, Jesus. Now, notice something very interesting here in this story with Jonathan. Oh, I mean, this was epic. He, by faith, went up and took on the Philistines, killed 20 of them. I mean, just mowing them down like a lawnmower, chewing up dry grass. And he's, he's, on, he's, just, he's just stepping in faith, and the Holy Spirit is now on him. 
So what does that mean? It means, now I want to show this to you. It means something very special. You've got to see this. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Woo! You're going to be in a, a category of believers that delights the heart of God. Watch this. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan and David, in verse 3, made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. What happened is that Jonathan, who knew what actual real faith is, not just talking it, getting, actually getting in the battle and using that sword, when he later saw David kill Goliath, he instantly said, finally, a guy that thinks and acts like I do because he couldn't find it in his family. He couldn't find it amongst the others around him. Where did he find it? He saw it in David. And that was an explosion within Jonathan's heart. He was like, yes, that is finally somebody that I can knit to and give my friendship and give my heart to because he's just like me. He thinks just like me. He has the same spirit I do. What? Listen, please listen. What spirit is that? Watch this. Ooh, praise God. I'm, I'm going to put a sword in your hand. It's balanced. It's got a counterweight. See, when you get a sword, the size has to fit you. You got a long blade, but you have to have a counterbalance here. I've got a scripture for you. Woo, that'll cut the enemy down. That'll cut him to shreds. Are you ready? I'm going to put it into your hand. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Mm, sharp. Be very careful with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. And since we, Jonathan and David, this is David talking, by the way. The apostle Paul's quoting him. And since we have the same spirit of faith, and that's, see, that's what Jonathan knew. That's what he walked in and he couldn't find it anywhere else. So he couldn't, he was longing for a relationship with somebody that he could relate to on this level. And he didn't see it until he saw David kill Goliath. And he said, yes, yes, that guy's like my brother. I'm closer to him than a blood brother. He's covenant blood. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so he connected. Why? They had the same spirit. It's called the spirit of faith. And Paul had it. The apostles had it. Jesus had it. Come on. Get into the spirit of faith. Faith in what? The word of God. And when you believe it, what will you do? Sleep on it? No. When you believe it, you'll speak it and declare it, it will come out of your mouth as a living, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the Word of God. Woo! And it'll work for you. It'll work for you. It's working right now. Look at this. Again, verse 13, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also, Paul, Paul the Apostle, Paul, walking in that phenomenal anointing and grace that Jesus put on his life, he said, we also believe and therefore speak. Right now, say, this new year that I'm coming into will be the greatest year of my life. 
I will experience the glory. I will experience the favor of God. I will experience the increase of God. God is blessing me. Mm, mm, mm. You believe it and you speak it. And that's why Jonathan and David made a covenant. Why? They're on the same spiritual frequency. Woo, praise God. Final note. We saw this with Jonathan. When you move, God moves with you. Pastor Stephen, I want God to move. He moves when you move. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We can't please God without faith. So he has to see faith, and faith is not faith without works. So when you put works to your faith and you start moving, that's when God starts moving. The next thing you know, when he was in battle and he's conquering, I mean, faith just went out like a bomb and hit the others. The others grabbed their swords. We're like, we're in, we're in, we're fed up. We're getting humiliated by the enemy. And it was a rout and God, God starts doing an earthquake. God's now God's working. Now the, his angels are working and now the enemy's getting all confused and they're killing each other. <laughs> they call it the fog of war. Well, there was some fog going on. That's for sure. They were, uh, they were killing each other. Mm, the enemy that is mm, praise God. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Father, I pray before the year is complete that you put a sword in the hands of your people, within the heart of your people, within the mouth of your people, that is their weapon, that is their sword to fight with and to stand on. And I thank you that any time the enemy shows up, a Philistine uh, uh, with threats or this or that, they will use that sword just like Jonathan did, just like David did, just like Paul having the same spirit of faith. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We receive the word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give time to the Lord to seek him. Hang out with him. He's going to talk to you, and you're going to find, you're going to receive the word that God has for you. It's falling right now. Some of you could receive the word right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, remember, uh, you can't necessarily take somebody else's word. Yes, it's the word of God. But you have to get your own sword. You have to get the one that works for you. Woo! Praise God. In baseball, the batters, they've all got their own customized bats. Why? They're all bigger. Some guys are bigger. Some guys are taller. Some guys are wider. Some guys are thinner. So you can't swing the same bat as the other person because your mechanics are different. Everything, your ligaments and tendons are longer or shorter. You have to find what works for you. Let the Lord put into your hands the sword to fight with. Amen. And then use it. Father, we give you praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. My friends that are watching today, perhaps there are some that don't know Jesus as your Savior. Today, it's time for you to receive the greatest Christmas gift of all, Jesus as your Savior. And also, you can't, you can't get the word to fight with unless you belong to Jesus and you're in his army. Mm -mm, you're on his side. You're on the winning team. All right, so come on over right now to the kingdom of light. Walk away from the sin and turn, and Jesus will receive you right now. I want you to pray a simple prayer. Say this after me. And by the way, also, if you used to be a Christian, but you fell away, and you have somehow ended up in the camp of the Philistines, you're on the wrong side, and you know it. Come on back right now. You pray this prayer also. All right, everybody, pray this prayer that wants to come to Christ. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I completely surrender my life to you right now. 
Save me, Jesus. Wash me clean with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life and put your sword, put your word in my mouth and lead me from victory to victory. Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Praise God. And he has heard that prayer and he has saved your soul. Praise God. Amen. Now, let's take Holy Communion today. If you are a Christian, you can take communion. Praise God. If you're not a Christian and you take it, you're just drinking grape juice and eating a little cracker. That's all. But as a believer, as a believer, we're going to receive Holy Communion. So grab a little wafer, a little cracker, and some grape juice, and let's pray over it. Let's take it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread and this juice, and we bless it right now, and we set this apart as being holy, and we thank you that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive the Lord's flesh, we thank you for strength to fight. We thank you, O God, for the word, the rhema word, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we just give you praise. The word is rising in our hearts, coming forth. We thank you. We bless you. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Let's receive. Praise God. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. As we receive the Lord's precious blood, we thank you that we forgive anybody who sinned against us. We forgive them and we move on in you. Hallelujah. Happy and blessed. We thank you, O God. We thank you, O God. You're working mightily in our lives and we give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the Lord's blood. Woo! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. My friends, thank you for joining me today. And as I say goodbye, on behalf of my dear wife and I and our ministry team, we just want to say we love you. Thank you for helping to make this a powerful and wonderful and effective year for this ministry. Thank you for your love for us and your, prayer for, your prayers for us. And we love you and we're praying for you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas day. And I'll see you back again real soon. Bye-bye.